Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, alongside the founder of brewhoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden, for today's episode brought to you by Built Bar. Go to builtbar.com and use the promo code Locked On, and you'll get $10 off your next order. The Bucks have a 3-1 lead in the series. Uh, crisis averted after losing game one in this first round series against the Magic. They win 121-106 to in a game that was... Very close until the end of the third quarter. At that point, Chris Middleton had three points and his playoff slump continued. He looked completely out of sorts. And then he just dropped a cool 18 points on three for three shooting from three, six for 10 from the field overall in the the fourth quarter. Finished with 21 points and 10 rebounds. Giannis just did what he's been doing every game. 31 points, 15 rebounds, eight assists. And the Bucs blew it out in the fourth quarter. But this was, as I sort of mentioned, a game that was close for perhaps longer than you would hope it would be. Let's start with the positives, though, and Chris Milton, Frank. Uh, needless to say, he certainly needed this. I would have taken him just knocking down a few shots in the fourth quarter. I probably could not have expected he was going to drop 18 completely out of the blue here. Yeah, when that first three went down, I think it was, I want to say it was like a top of the key three. Mm. Um, it felt like a big pressure release shot, both for the Bucks and for uh, Chris, obviously, just given how things have been going. So, um, yeah, I mean, to me, that's probably the biggest takeaway from this game. Just, And again, I mean, look, Chris is a professional. It's not like he's never played in the playoffs or he's never had big playoff games or whatever. I mean, he's had obviously some great series. He's had some not-so-great series. Um, this one is not going to go down – as a particularly memorable one for, for a number of reasons. But certainly um, the way this game was going, you know, it, it felt like the Bucks would get kind of like a six, seven, eight point lead. And then the Magic would go on a little bit of a run. And, you know, you, the Bucks just couldn't really shake them the way that they did in the past two games. So a different, you know, kind of the, the, the final margin ended up being very similar to the previous two games, but a different kind of game in that the Bucks had to really just sort of stomp them out in the fourth quarter. So, again, if we're playing that glass half full, hey, you know, not bad that the Magic are not rolling over, right? I mean, they keep making threes, which um, I would, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of, you know, getting the Bucks a little more of a test and getting them maybe hopefully a little more ready for what's to come in future rounds. Um, ironically, I, I'm, I'm okay with that in hindsight, at least, that the Bucks are not facing a team other than game two. You know, Orlando's typically been a poor shooting team but um they've shot the ball extremely well these past two games and the fact that the bucks have been able to pull away and, and win comfortably i'd say is is certainly a positive and you know today for chris and Giannis to obviously be sort of at the forefront of of pulling away the way they did i think was obviously a a really positive thing and um you know again it's uh we were discussing before the podcast right i mean 
you know, this series will not, no, no one's going to remember the series. Um, assuming the Bucks win here, no one's going to remember the series <laughs> down the road. Um, I don't think anybody really particularly remembers the Pistons series from a year ago. I mean, you know, think about that series. Blake Griffin misses the first couple games and then is basically a, a shell of himself when he did come, come back. Um, that Pistons team probably is as bad or worse than this one from the, the magic uh, that we're seeing, even with all their injuries. So, um, you know, again, it's this, this is a, this is a chance to work some things out. And, and obviously the Bucks felt like they had work to do coming out of the bubble. And um, hopefully now we're seeing them again, not that they're, I mean, no one's going to say that they're peaking as a team or something like that right now, but um, they're at least, you know, playing at a at higher level. And um, we're seeing at least certainly that defensive side um, come out and, really make its make its mark you know I, even with the magic making threes uh the defensive rating at the end of the day has been very impressive and i think the bucks right now are i want to say third in the playoffs in terms of defensive rating not that far above where they were during the regular season which obviously bled the league by far so um you know i think again that more signs of similarity to what we expected of this team we watched them all season and obviously that's a plus and Giannis continue to do Giannis stuff right for the second straight game uh, obviously also uh, another big positive is you know, he was also also another key piece of, of closing out the, the magic here in, in the game in game four. Yeah, I think we should talk about Giannis a little bit. His numbers on the series, and I, I don't think anyone's surprised by this. I mean, we expected that he would probably be able to have a big uh, series against this magic team, but 31.3 points, 15.8 rebounds, 6.8 assists, 35% from three on around five attempts per game. So per 36, he's up to around 35, 18, and eight uh, per 36 minutes. We can talk about the minutes a little bit if we want. But I, I think if you're going to be frustrated about anything, and I do want to move to the defense a little bit later here, but I've just felt during this series, and you look at the scoreboard and you say, well, okay, they scored 120 points. This has been a pretty comfortable mark for the Bucks to get against this team, particularly over the last couple of games. It does still just feel that they are just messing around a little bit offensively. It feels like they can get whatever the hell they want. Giannis was four for five from the field in the last quarter, and I thought it was telling that he didn't shoot a three. So again tonight, uh, or today, he was one for five from three. I thought, again, took some uh, a bad three-point attempts. But, you know, it's funny. The one that he did hit towards the end of the third quarter, scores were tied. He knocks down the three. They end up getting the steal and, and Nelly turning it into a six-point game. So the shot that he did make from three, uh, maybe you would say it was a bad look. He knocks it down and you say, okay, we'll take that. But again, to me, Eric Bledsoe, another player, one for eight on pull-up threes so far in this series. It just feels to me that defensively, they've sort of found their rhythm a little bit. But offensively, and particularly Giannis, it's, it just feels that, yes, he's having a monster series. He's getting what he wants offensively, but he could he could really put the foot down even further and really uh, dominate this series. So I do wonder, and it's sort of hard for me to shake this thought in my head, that perhaps still this team does feel very, very comfortable with where they sit. They do feel they have an extra gear, like we saw in the fourth quarter today, and they are still sort of using this series to try some different things, get some different shots up, try and find some rhythm from outside. I don't know if you get the sense of that, and I don't know whether that's really accurate, but otherwise it, it does... You know, we spoke about valuing possessions. It still, to me, feels like they're not exactly valuing those offensive possessions as much as they could be. But against this team, it doesn't really matter.
Yeah, today, I mean, on the bright side, there are only 12 turnovers today for the Bucks. Yeah. Obviously, that has been a consistent issue for them in this series and going back into the, the seeding games in the bubble. Um, uh, Orlando had 16 turnovers. Um, so I think that was, you know, the, maybe a little more care with the ball, I think was generally a, a positive takeaway. I think Chris, for four turnovers, led the team. Still think some loose some loose decision-making at times um, with some of his passing is, you know, he's kind of been, uh, we've seen some really nice passing from him, especially in the pick and roll. And then we've also seen him uh, trying to force some stuff or, you know, trying to dribble, maybe getting ahead of himself in transition when he should probably play, play a little slower, or, mm-hmm. you know, driving middle and guys, guys being able to be handsy and, and kind of knock the ball away. So, um, you know, not a work of art by any stretch, but you know, net net end of the day, you know, you look at the numbers, 18 out of 45 threes for Orlando. That's obviously, uh, a, you know, a number that we would worry about if, if we heard it coming in, right? If we, that's all we knew. Uh, it's a 40% mark from three. But um, pretty much everything else, you know, Bucks, 89% defensive rebound rate, no second chances, um, just 20 free throws attempted by the Magic. You obviously can live with that, especially given uh, what we saw, I guess, was in game two. Um, and you know that forty-two to twenty advantage in the paint. Um, not surprisingly, Bucks the best team defending the paint as they were all season in the playoffs as well. I think they're down to twenty-seven points per game um, allowed in the paint. So uh, you know it, that's the and that's the flip side here. Obviously, like Bucevic had another very good game here, thirty-one points, hit six out of ten threes, uh, eleven rebounds, seven assists, a couple blocks. Um, but you know, end of the day. Um, I mean, it's sort of one of things, you know, our, our friend Dean Maniat kind of tweeted out, so, you know, sort of the effect of, uh, and I think Bud kind of echoed this, you tweeted it out, sort of this idea that, you know, yeah, I mean, you, you don't want to give up, obviously, uh, a ton of threes to Vucevic, but, you know, again, this is always the trade-off for the Bucks. I mean, 20 points in the paint, I mean, that's, that's nothing, right? <laughs> right? I mean, you know, 43% two-point shooting from the Magic. We've seen so many games this year where the Bucks are in the high 50s and their opponents in the low 40s. And, uh, and you know, that's, that just creates a big mountain that teams have to climb over, especially when the Bucks are not giving them uh, free points at the line. And so, um, you know, do you want to give up a lot of threes for Vucevic? No, but, you know, again, to some extent, um, you know, if you just do everything you can to just take away his open threes – you're going to give up something else. Right. And, and I don't know, I'm not saying that that's a, a losing trade-off, but you know, he's a 34% three point shooter, right? He's a 43% long two point shooter. So, um, you know, it's not like you're, you're leaving Steph Curry or Dame Willard wide open on threes here either. Um, you know, I think, I think the bucks have actually probably contested, you know, semi honestly, let's say. Um, but, I think the Magic know that they have to go to that just because there's so little that they're going to get inside. So, yeah, I'm not going to try to spin Vucevic's excellent play as like somehow positive, but um, you know they're kind of taking everything else away from the Magic to a large extent. And you know it's pretty much just if Terrence Ross isn't gunning and having success, and tonight 19 points on 13 shots, but just one of eight from three, he was sort of at his wild best, uh, just flailing threes up and to draw a couple of three point fouls if I remember correctly. But, um, you know, I, I think just looking kind of where the bucks are, I mean, if at the end of the day, you know, even with the team hitting a lot of threes against you, uh, the numbers are kind of still working out in their favor. And that's, that's obviously been the story of their season defensively. So, um, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to get 
too mad about the Bucks giving up threes when uh, even when they give up a lot of threes, their defense uh, you know still does what it's supposed to do, which is prevent teams from being efficient overall. You mentioned that I tweeted out that uh, response to the Vucevic question and particularly the defense uh, on him. And Bud was pissed at me. Like, let's, let's get that clear first of all. He was not happy that I asked that question. It didn't seem like he really appreciated the, uh, the angle I was going with there. But I think if you do look at the numbers, and I, I think I understand why the frustration is there from Bucks fans. I don't necessarily think it's all to do with Vucevic. I think it's to do with how you're going to defend the three moving forward. The Magic are averaging over 15 made threes per game and shooting 38% from three. So this is, I mean, it's it's a really high percentage. It's a, it's a high percentage shooting from three, particularly for a team that during the season only shot just over 34% and made uh, 11 per game. So they're seeing a huge spike. Vucevic himself is averaging 29.5 points, 10 rebounds on 54-44-100 shooting splits. So he is kind of torching them a little bit. And I do think that there's something to be said for the fact that the Bucks are totally fine with that. Because particularly in the last couple of games, they've clearly tightened up their paint defense, which is where this team, it's where this team has to be elite in. Because that's what's carried them to the number one defense so far. But just some of the numbers for Vucevic in this series, he's averaging a 6.3 two-point catch and shoot. And he's shooting 57.9% of those and eight three-point attempts at 37.5%. So clearly he's been really, really efficient in those pick-and-pop scenarios. Of those that are related to wide-open attempts, he's shooting 70% on wide-open two-point field goal attempts on catch-and-shoot and 33.3% on the three. So I think that the three-point number is obviously around 33% and the Bucks will take that. I think Vucevic is certainly cooled off from three in the last two games, although he was six for 10 today, but although, you know, he did bank one in uh, there and got, a, got rolling a little bit later on in the game. But I, I think that probably the concern for Bucks fans is like, okay, well, what do you do in the next few rounds? Now, you mentioned Dean. I know he tweeted out, are they going to have a player that they're going to see that's going to be like Vucevic? Not really. You think of Miami, I know the guy that everyone straight away thinks about is a guy like Kelly Olenek and... Yeah, he's a frustrating player at the best of times. So if he's out there picking and popping and knocking down those threes, it's going to be pretty tough to watch. I think my biggest concern with the defense against this in this series is that even against the Magic, a team where they don't have a lot offensively, I still have found myself in most of these games basically just hoping that they miss open shots. And I know that they're not great shooters and I know that the Bucks defense is probably happy to give those away and not give them anything easier. But I do wish that I felt like they were taking more difficult shots more often than they are because it does just seem, whether it's Gary Clark, whether it's James Ennis, whether it's DJ Augustine, it just feels like it's all too easy for them to just spot up and shoot open threes. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, this is going to happen all, all playoffs probably for the Bucks, right? I think... And it's um, tough to watch. Yeah, I mean, this this was another game where um, not many from the corners. I'm just looking here. It looks like they were one out of two from the right corner and two out of three, two out of four maybe, um, two out of four from the left corner. So, uh, you know, obviously the part of what the Bucks do is they at least try to force you to take those above-the-break threes rather than uh, the corner threes, um, which uh, – you know, look, the the Raptors, I mean, that's the irony, right? I think a lot of you guys have probably, you know, picked up on this, that 
um, giving up three pointers suddenly became fashionable after the Bucks <laughs> gave up tons last year. And you know, a, a number of the Bucks, a number of the best defenses in the NBA have been also the teams that have surrendered the most three point attempts um, this season. Um, the Raptors kind of being the other kind of obvious one that obviously we always talk about being an awesome defense. They were second in defensive rating and they gave up, you know, an absolute ton of threes as well. They actually give up a lot more corner threes, um, which, you know, is a little different from, from the bucks, but uh, you know, it's, it's just, I think one of these kind of things that um, we have seen all season and this is kind of who the bucks are. And it's not to say that they won't make, some adjustments um but uh you know i think the irony is that taking away everything but the three-point line is now kind of what teams do and you know you look at the top three the top let's say the top four teams in terms of uh giving up the most three-point attempts per game worst milwaukee bucks second worst toronto raptors third worst miami heat fourth worst la clippers (laughs) so you know uh, and there's some bad teams as well in the bottom 10, but, um, you know, whereas we used to, you know, I think a few years ago, the prevailing wisdom was, uh, the good teams, you know, you can't really control the percentage that people shoot against you, but you can at least try to limit the number of looks they get, give you, um, that's kind of gone out the window. And, you know, the idea of just really buckling down and taking away, uh, the rim in particular, obviously with the, but the ball, the way the bucks do it, um, has obviously, uh, you know, been something that, uh, now more than ever, um, you know, has become a focal point. And if you give up a bunch of three-point attempts, you know, at this point, you know, the best teams in the league have sort of said, the best defensive teams in the league, you know, coaches like uh, Nick Nurse uh, and, and Eric Spolster are right behind the Bucks, right? I mean, th- those teams are also making the same trade-off that, um, that basically they can take away other stuff. If they, you know, if they do give up maybe more threes than, than ideally they'd like. So, um yeah, get get used to it. Uh, we've seen it all season. We saw it last year, and we'll, I'm sure, see it uh, in the next series. You know, assuming the Bucks obviously take care of business here. Um, and again, I mean, uh, every every series, you know, the playoffs are just a series of small samples. That's my you know my my go to saying whenever we get to the playoffs. And uh, I think it's going to be especially interesting. You know, I think there was a little bit of talk about three point percentage being uh, higher, uh, and and possibly that being you know, a result of playing in a shooter's gym, as, as Kyle Korver pointed out. Um, you know, ironically, that's the opposite of what we kind of speculated. Like, you know, when teams are coming back from such a long break, we thought, oh, our team's going to, is it just going to be a lot of rock fights, right? Because teams are not going to, they're going to be rusty and they're not going to shoot well. Um, you know, again, as much as the Bucks are dependent on three-point shooting as well, um, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a plus and minus, it's a double-edged sword. If, if teams are shooting well from three, that can obviously also work against the Bucks. But, you know, as, as we just discussed, they are certainly not the only team that defensively is, uh, I don't want to say living and dying by the three because the Bucks are sort of set up to live even when the other team makes a lot of threes. But uh, it's certainly, again, a common theme across, you know, the a number of the best defenses in the league that, that this is sort of what, what it's going to look like. And it's not always pretty, um, but obviously that's something that the Bucks have, have been able to do. And I, by the way, I agree with you. I mean, Kelly Olenek is always sort of a, annoys the hell out of me just because, I mean, he's got, <laughs> Super, super punchable face, um, you know, hits threes, uh, flops on Giannis because he knows he can't defend him, just tries to take charges. Um, and so he's like just one of those guys that I think when you talk about, you know, as Dean was pointing out, like, well, who, you know, who else could do this against the Bucks? Um, 
the good news is Olenek, you know, we saw him start with Jimmy Butler out against the Bucks a couple weeks ago. The good news is if he's coming off the bench, you can at least, you know, sort of hide Brook on Bam Adebayo when, against the starters. And I think it's a little easier to match up with him. Um, you know, we saw today, I thought it was significant. No Robin Lopez. We actually saw Ursan play seven minutes. We saw <laughs> yeah. Marvin Williams and, and Giannis play small together. And, you know, I, I don't know if that's at all looking ahead to uh, the second round. Uh, obviously, you know, the Magic don't have like a pick and pop Olenek type. You know, they have sort of the opposite with Kim, Bur- Kim Birch uh, as their backup big man, who's obviously not a threat from three. But I kind of was like wondering, like, is this sort of to try to maybe get some reps playing small? Um, we've obviously seen them go small a bit against Vucevic as well. Um, and I think that's probably going to be something they have to do. Cause I mean, I don't want Robin Lopez trying try to defend Kelly Olenek as in the backup units. Right. I mean, that's, that's, I don't think going to be a, a winning combination. So um, yeah, again, not to, not to look too far ahead, but, but certainly you can't help but feel like that a little bit. And again, this team's as much as you know, you can only win the next game on the schedule. It's uh, you, we obviously are watching these games with one eye on, you know, next round of the round after, and hopefully the round after that. Okay, Frank, we spoke about Chris Middleton in the fourth quarter, his outburst, his slump-breaking 18-point outburst in the fourth quarter. Uh, maybe he had a built bar at the end of the third. Maybe that's what spurred him on to knock down some shots in the fourth quarter. We know the built bar is back and better than ever. They have 18 amazing flavors, including caramel brownie, cookies and cream, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. They have some of the old classics as well, raspberry, German chocolate, peanut butter, banana bread, among others. Built Bars are healthy and great for the health-conscious guy. Lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. The bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber. If you're on the Kato diet, it's great for you. And, of course, we have an offer for the listeners. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your next order. Use the promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. And I'll keep mentioning it. The free cooler is still there while supplies last. We'll let you know when that offer is done. But for now, go to BuiltBar.com. Use the code LOCKEDON for $10 off your next order. It's funny you mentioned about the shooting gyms and the fact that um, it probably was the opposite of what we thought it was going to be. Just quickly here, I just looked it up. Utah are are leading the NBA in the postseason 43% 43% from three. The Raptors, 43% also. Denver, 42 And then Milwaukee and Miami are both tied at 39%. So these teams are shooting the hell out of the ball. And it's funny that we think about how well Orlando are shooting and how that's, you know, it's been a positive that the Bucs have still been able to win. The Bucs are well up on their season percentages from three, even though uh, you think about some players that have struggled a little bit. Overall, the number is really, really impressive for them. Uh, one final defensive note, I know we mentioned him uh, a couple of podcasts ago, but Wesley Matthews again, because when I came into the series, I, I know Vucevic's a really talented player. He's an all-star. But perhaps the guy I was most worried about was Evan Fournier. <laughs> this guy has had a, a huge struggles during this series. Now, Wesley Matthews only played 21 minutes today. He was caught up in a little bit of foul trouble. Boy, he shot the ball well, four for six, including a, a super deep one just before half time. But Fournier is averaging just 11 points on the series. He averaged 20 points against the Bucks during the regular season on shooting splits of 33, 32, and 70. Uh, when Wes Matthews has had the chance to chase him around the perimeter, 
Uh, It's been a a delight to watch. He continues to really nullify the opposition's best or most attacking perimeter player. He should fully expect that he's probably going to have to chase around uh, either Butler or Duncan Robinson. Probably Duncan Robinson is the correct option there with how deadly he is from the perimeter. But, uh, geez, Wesley Matthews has been a good acquisition. And one other thing from the box score, just a real anomaly. When you look at the point guards, Eric Bledsoe and George Hill, Every single Bucks player was positive uh, on the plus and minus on the game outside of Pat Connaughton, who was a minus six in 21. And Eric Bledsoe, who played 23 minutes, was a minus 16. And then George Hill also played 23 minutes, and he was a plus 30. And I almost, I, I almost asked Bud about Bledsoe after the game. Instead, I, I went the, the alternate route, which um, he was probably not happy about either. But that's, that's an incredible discrepancy there. And I was wondering why Bledsoe's minutes were so low. Then I sort of looked to, took, to, took a closer look at the box score and saw that uh, Bledsoe's minutes didn't go well because he did have a good stretch in the second quarter where he was scoring. Uh, he was being aggressive. Uh, three for 11 on the night, obviously the most... Not the most efficient night, but that's just one of those funny box score things. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this. I mean, we'll often reference uh, a plus and minus in in the context of uh, a single game, and it's usually just to sort of like provide reference for like what happened when that guy or, mm. or some lineup was in. It's not necessarily say like, oh, that guy was a minus sixteen, so he must have been terrible. Because yeah. again, you know, it's one guy if the guys he's passing to miss all their shots and the other team makes all their shots, I mean, he's going to look bad, you know, and probably no fault of his own. And and I would say too, I mean, lineup data is, you got to be really careful with it, even during the regular season when we have, you know, much larger samples and then you get into these playoffs. I mean, I think, I think I was looking at it today. I mean, the, the starters are played, I think 48 minutes together. And their numbers are pretty much like where you, you know, not trying to like plus 12 net rating or something like that. Um, you know, 40 minutes. That's basically like a full game, obviously, that they've played together at this point. So call it probably something in the ballpark of 100 possessions. Um, but the next, the next most used lineup has played 12 minutes, right? And it's like, I think it's the like Giannis, Corver, Hill, Connaughton, DiVincenzo uh, lineup or something like that. Like it's, you know, kind of this like small small lineup with Giannis um, and you know I was looking at their net rating and it's like horrible net rating but then I was looking at like what the the, the actual like like just totals were and they're like minus eight and in those minutes those 12 minutes the magic have hit six out of ten threes and the bucks yeah. have hit four out of 14 right so you just kind of do the math and you're like okay well what if the bucks make one more three and the magic make two fewer threes because let's be honest you know five out of 14 four out of ten that's a much more reasonable split well, now you've now you've closed the entire gap. Why for why that that lineup has a negative rating, right? So again, like it, I, I don't even like I always like try to steer clear. I mean, obviously, I love using net ratings. So it's an easy way to you know kind of uh, make everything you know um, have a, you know per one hundred is just kind of an easy frame of reference that we're used to seeing. But um, you know, especially when we talk about like a single game or things like that, you know, again, single game plus minus the raw plus minus can be deceiving. I don't know how to explain Bledsoe being a 46-point differential <laughs> from Hill because I did not – as much as George Hill might have been better than Bledsoe today, I don't think it was anything reflective of those numbers. Uh, and then, you know, again, you look at those, like, lineup net ratings, things like that. Um, there's so much noise in these, you know, smaller samples that, um, again, it's, it can be descriptive of what happened when those guys were on the court. Like, did they get outscored? Did they, 
you know, totally outscored the other team. But as far as like, was that a sustainable thing? Was it luck? That's obviously where a lot of times there's just tons and tons of noise. And, you know, you can only really look at probably the, the bigger, the bigger lineup groups, um, to, to really kind of take much away. So, um, so anyway, end of, end of monologue on, on net ratings and plus minus and things like that. But, um, I think, I think the bucks were up to plus nine or so plus eight or nine net rating now for the series, which is at least, you know, the ballpark of where they were in the regular season. Uh, so again, things kind of returning to normalcy a bit. Yeah, I think certainly, particularly, and you you said it perfectly earlier in the pod where you said that uh, the playoffs are just a series of small samples. I think for, for lineup groups, because you, you notice as soon as you look it up, like it's so ridiculous. You have the starters and then you have about 20 different groups with five, that have played five minutes together. I mean, it's, it's just, there's nothing, there's no point even reading uh, anything into it there. But uh, as you sort of pointed to, after game one, the starters obviously struggled and since then uh, they've come back to their normal levels. Game five is going to be in a couple of days at 3 p.m. Central game. It's like a sleep-in. The guys just get to relax. And I did actually want to go on a bit of a deep dive into Chris Middleton day games. I'm curious to look up those numbers. I'm probably going to do that after we stop recording here. I wonder if there's any uh, trend there with him. I'm, su- I'm certain the Bucks will be looking forward to hopefully in the second round getting back to night games, which, by the way, Miami did sweep Indiana today after the Bucks beat the Magic in game four. So Miami are just they're chilling in the bubble. I saw someone tweet saying that they hope that Myers Leonard just has the whole team celebrating shotgunning beers for the next four days. Uh, yeah, I, I would be totally down with that. But uh, we've spoken about the Bucks in the past when they've had to wait last year. Extended breaks before playing the Celtics. They lost in game one. Extended break before playing the Raptors. Took three and a half quarters to get going in that one as well. So I'm not exactly disappointed that the Bucs are just going to probably keep on rolling. My suspicion is based on the fact that the Toronto-Boston series is basically starting straight away, is that the Bucs will play on Wednesday. If they win, it wouldn't shock me at all to see game one of the uh, Bucs and Heat two days after that. I think they're probably going to keep trying to have this schedule tick along uh, one day after the other. It seems to make sense. They're not going to mess around here at all. And as I said, I don't think I'm all that disappointed about that, but the Bucs have to take care of business first. Yeah, and I, I did we bury the lead a little bit? I know we mentioned Middleton, but um, I, man, it, it's still wild. Like, what? I mean, I'm just thinking back to that the start of the fourth quarter when um, he really got going and, and gunning away. And um, I thought the discussion after the game was it was interesting. You know, the the comment from Giannis that basically they wanted him to shoot until his arms fell off. Kind of, kind of, basically getting back to what you were saying after game two where, you know, you were talking about him only taking eight shots and how, you know, whatever, whether he's hot or cold, they just need him more involved in that. And again, he had, you know, he had, he made a fair amount of, you know, kind of, he had that kind of playmaking responsibility as well. I think he had five or six assists in games two and three, but um, I thought that was interesting. Basically it sounds like the Kane Pittman school of, you know, how to use Chris Middleton was, was in the back of uh, Giannis and company's mind that they were really encouraging to, to keep shooting away and, uh yeah i mean obviously i think just that again that was probably the the biggest thing not only to to obviously extend the lead and and feel like you had that uh, comfort at the end of the game that uh, the bucks were going to get a you know be able to pull away but um for middleton to obviously be a key part of that and and to really kind of help inspire that early in the fourth quarter was obviously a big relief and again now it's just something he's got to 
continue to do, and and especially here, you know, presumably when uh, obviously the opponents become become more challenging, it's uh, the you know the bar is only going to get higher for him, kind of game by game. I, you know, talk about who he's going to match up with next round. You know, we're talking about defensively. Mm-hmm. Very good chance, obviously. I, I would assume that Jimmy Butler is going to be guarding him, uh, and obviously that's that's no easy matchup. Uh, for for a guy like Chris and I mean they faced off before when Jimmy was in Chicago in playoffs as well so um, no uh, certainly not not a uh, an unfamiliar face for Chris and the Bucks. he said after the game at times I think I'm unselfish and then there's times where I think I have to force the issue and I think that's what they wanted me to do or at least start doing I think any uh, any team would be really happy if Chris Middleton's playing passive and if he's if they've turned him into a distributor. So I don't really buy. And I, I first of all, I really understand why Bud and Giannis never came out and said, "Well, he was fantastic in game two. Like I understand why they say that, but I don't really agree with it. He needs to be a scorer. No. He, he needs to be a scorer. He needs to be getting at least fifteen shots a game. And uh, we always say, you know, when you're playing a team and you're going into the next game and it's a blowout, the old saying that. Don't let the shooters start to knock down a few shots in the fourth quarter and carry their rhythm through to the next game. This was a game Milwaukee obviously won, but maybe it's a catalyst for Chris to hopefully uh, find some rhythm because, I mean, you have to feel pretty damn good about that after having 18 points in the fourth quarter when the team actually really needed it. That's the thing. It was a close game going into the fourth quarter. But uh, like we said, hopefully after game five, this one is done and we can close the books on the first round and move ahead to Miami. Frank, it's super late over there. Appreciate you as always. For everyone, we'll be back tomorrow to sort of preview game five and what we expect from that and any of the talking points from practice tonight. Uh, for Frank Madden and myself, stay safe and we'll speak to you guys tomorrow.